Hey, this is John Stevens, pastor of Chapelwood, and this is our weekly sermon podcast. I hope it will impact your heart and your life and help you grow closer to God. Check us out online at chapelwood.org. Thanks for tuning in. Today's scriptures reading is from Mark chapter 5. You may follow along with me by turning page 39 and 40 in the New Testament section of the View Bible Pause. This When Jesus has crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at the feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be, may well and live. So he went with him and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John The brothers of James, when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went and where the child was he took her by the hand and said to her Talitha come which means little girl get up and immediately the girl got up and began to begin walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. She strictly ordered them that no one, that no one should know this, and they told them to give her something to eat. This is the world of the world. You may be seated. Hey, my name is Joseph Clam. I'm one of the pastors here at Chapwood United Methodist Church. Welcome to our online worship. We are so glad that you're here. I want to encourage you to take a visit to chapwood.org home to find out more information about how you can get connected here at Chapwood. Also, I want to encourage you to register your attendance. And if you'd like to pray with someone, there's a link to do so. You may be remote, but just know that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved. Welcome to Chapwood. God bless. Amen. So I hope everybody's doing well this morning. 
I'm not going to, I mean, some of you really want me to talk about college football. Some of you really do not want me to talk about, I don't, I can't win in this situation at all, uh, but congratulations if your team did great and uh, I'm praying for you if they didn't. <clears throat> Just know we love, we love one another here, right? You know, um, I've shared this story before, but when I was 14, my father, who had, I found out much later, had had multiple affairs, had an affair and decided that this was the one he was going to uh, leave my mother and us for, and, and he left. <clears throat> and from 14 until probably well into my 20s and even early 30s, I... I don't know how, I can't sugarcoat this. I'm just going to be honest with you. I hated my father. I, I wouldn't speak to him. Uh, if he called on the phone, this was pre-cell phone and caller ID, uh, I would either hang up or just set it on the table if he wanted to talk to my mother or my brother. I wouldn't accept any gifts from him uh, at all, even though he tried. Um, I, I've shared the story before that when I was 18, he had a heart attack and was in CICU, and <clears throat> people had said, you need to forgive your father. And I'm not proud of this moment in my life, but I went to visit him, first time I'd seen him in four years, and I had written him a letter, and I just walked into the CICU, my grandmother was there, I laid the letter down, and I left. And the letter basically said, um, Jesus says that I have to forgive you, so I forgive you. But when you die, you are going to hell. <laughs> now, at, remember, I was a child, so have a little bit of, <laughs> have a little bit of grace. Uh, not one of my finer moments uh, in life. But, but it was real. And if you've ever had someone who deeply harmed you and deeply hurt you or deeply wronged you, or you felt like changed or altered the course of your life in some way, you understand what I'm talking about. You understand what it's not right. I, I remember for years, people would say, you need to forgive your dad. And I didn't really understand all that that meant. I thought that meant we had to be best friends and we had to be reconciled. And I learned as I grew up and I got older and more mature and became a pastor and got into ministry with a lot of broken people and understood forgiveness and reconciliation, that forgiveness didn't necessarily mean that we were going to be reconciled. It takes two parties to reconcile. My father was never remorseful. He never said he was sorry. He never did any of that. But I learned uh, through having my own kids, uh, growing older in my own life, uh, being in ministry to a lot of different types of people, challenged in my own way about a lot of things, and then really just reading and studying the Bible more and more and more and more, I, I realized that I needed to forgive my father. And I went through this process and this journey of forgiveness. And and before he died, I was able to sit down with him and tell him I forgave him. Now, I can tell you there's no magic flip of the switch. Just because you sit down in front of someone that you really don't like for a long time and you say, I forgive you, doesn't necessarily mean all of a sudden, you know, snowflakes and rainbows and, and all that sort of appear out of nowhere. It still takes some time in processing. But it did change the way that I viewed him. It changed the way I viewed God. It changed the way I viewed myself and other people. It changed the way that I was transformed. And that only happened because 
like I said, of, of really looking at the, not just the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, but the life of Jesus, the movement of Jesus, the location of Jesus, who it was that Jesus interacted with. That was very important in my life and in my process. And finally, growing up enough to say that I've said this bef before to, about a lot of things, but there but by the grace of God go I. And as you get older, you realize that we're all capable of doing things that can mess your life up. And so a little bit of humility and maturity and all these things sort of work. It put me in that position, in that place. And I don't hold myself out there as some, uh, some hero or a great example of all of this because it took decades in order to process and get to a place of forgiveness and freedom. But today's scripture is one of those that I think really highlights how it is that it should shape our lives as we see, we talk about here at Chapelwood that we're about the life, the ministry, the words, the teachings, the modeling of Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Because sometimes we Christians are so focused on the do's and the don'ts, the rights and the wrongs and the rules, that when we read the Bible, we forget to read and notice and be transformed by a lot of other parts that are in there. And I learned uh, through the years that you have to pay attention, for example, to the verbs in the story, not just the nouns. You have to pay attention not just to the characters that are healed and put yourself in their place. Sometimes you have to just pay attention to where is Jesus? What's he doing? Where is he moving? Who's he dealing with? What, what kind of interaction is he having with these other sorts of people? And one of the first things that stands out in this passage of Scripture in all of Mark chapter 5 today is that we see Jesus show up in all times and in every place, not bounded by a region or a territory or a people. Let me unpack this. The beginning of this passage says that when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him. When he crossed on the boat again to the other side, he crossed to the other side again. What does that mean? Why is that significant? I wrote in the weekly email sort of a, uh, an introduction to this whole thing. The reason this is significant is because the other side of the Sea of Galilee are completely different types of people. On one side, you have the Jewish side. On the other side, you have the Gentile side, the non-Jewish side. And so if you go to the first 20 verses of Mark chapter 5, you have the story of Jesus going across the Sea of, the Gal of Galilee into the Gentile side, the side of the Gerasenes. And there's this great story where he goes out into this area outside of, of a village and he goes into the tombs where there is a tomb dweller, a man who is possessed by a demon, demons. And as he intersects this man or he confronts this man who has been this plight on the community, they're all scared of him, they're all are afraid, this guy has been out, ostracized from the community, he's been cast out of the community. And so Jesus goes to him and as he pulls this man out of the tombs, the darkness, the dampness, the death of the tombs, he asks him, what is your name? And the demon speaks and says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And if you know the story, you know that Jesus cast the demon Legion out of the man in the tombs, and he cast them into a herd of pigs. And the pigs run off into the ocean and are drowned. Caused a lot of other problems for Jesus. But just so you know, if you didn't get the memo, Jewish people don't do pigs. In Jesus' day, right? So the herd of swine 
are being herded by Gentile people, outsiders, non-Jews, outside of the religious lines, different culture, different region, different practices, different belief systems, different. And yet this is where Jesus is located in this place in Mark 5.1. He's on the Gentile side. And so what stands out here to me at the very beginning If you pay attention to all of the scripture and not just pick pieces out, you have to pay attention to where Jesus is located. And you begin to realize that Jesus is not afraid to enter into foreign territory. Territory of the other. Jesus is bringing healing, wholeness, salvation, life, and God's love. To people that some people think are outside the boundaries of that love. Outside the, the, outside the limitations of where God is working. Jesus is working both sides of the lake. If you ever go with us to the Holy Land, you'll see that it, it's not a terrible distance. You can see the other side. Sea of Galilee is kind of a big lake, uh, you could see the other side. But these people had no interaction with one another. They were very different communities. But what we find is that Jesus works both sides of the lake. He works the Jewish side, he works the Gentile side. He works the holy side and the non-holy side. He works the good side and the bad side. He is not bound by the lake. He's not bound by region. He's not bound by territory. He's not bound by the people or the race or the culture. And it makes me wonder about our own relationships and how we allow differences to define us and to shape us and to cause us to live our lives. You know, the song we sang at the beginning of the service, Reckless Love, a lot of praise songs do this. they, they, They really make them about us personally. And when we read the scripture and I look at the story of the man in the tomb whose the demons are cast out of, I think, oh, well, that's me. Uh, You know, I I am many, but Jesus makes me one. Or I see Jairus who comes and he begs, will you heal my daughter? And I think, well, that's me. I'm Jairus. Jesus, can you help me in my time of need? Or even in between this passage, we didn't read it this morning, but the woman who has the issue of blood and she's she's exhausted all of her resources, been to every doctor for seven years, she's bled and she makes her way into the crowd to just touch the hem of his garment. And I think, well, that's me. My resources are gone. Jesus can heal me. We make the faith and the story all about us, very self-centered about us, and it limits the way we see what Jesus is doing when we do that. Now, that's an appropriate way to do it. We want to put ourselves into the story and see how Jesus can change us. But like the song we sang this morning, Reckless Love, he chases me down, fights till I'm found. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. There's no wall he won't knock down, no mountain he won't tear down coming after me. But when we read this passage of scripture, I'm sitting over there and I'm thinking, yes, that's great. I love the song. No, coming after me. He leaves the 99 to come after me. But it's just as important for us to sing this song to say, he chases them down. He fights till they are found. They couldn't earn it. They don't deserve it. No wall he won't knock down. No mountain he won't tear down going after them. Do you see how that changes completely the way we start to think about faith, our faith and our role? 
Because this is what we find in the scripture. This is what Jesus is doing. And as much as I want to believe so strongly, and I do, that Jesus is on my side, working my side, and he's really against the other side because I'm against the other side, the scripture is going to continue to challenge you. He's always going back and forth. Jesus is always working both sides. And that challenges my brain. It challenges my worldview. It challenges kind of my understanding. It even challenges a little bit of my ethos in the world that we live in and the culture that we live in. Because in the world that we live in, there are winners and there are losers. In the world that I live in, there is right and there is wrong. And it challenges us to see how Jesus moves back and forth between these spaces and places. He does this in the same way with how he's dealing with. Who is Jesus dealing with? There's the religious establishment. And we find that whenever Jesus is dealing with the religious establishment, the insiders, the pure, the clean, the holy, the righteous, he seems to like not really do well with them, (laughs) has problem with them. Because of their self-righteousness and because they've created these boundaries, you find Jesus moving to the places of sinners, moving to the places of the broken, moving to the places of the prostitutes, moving to the places of the lepers, moving to the places of the tax collectors. Everyone who is unclean and outcast and marginalized and shunned, everybody who, I mean, you, you, you read the scripture and you have to say, yes, the words of Jesus, but where are the words being spoken? Where's the movement of Jesus? Where's the modeling of Jesus? Where is the life of Jesus? And it challenges me. It challenged me crossing to the other side with my father and in so many other situations to begin to see that Jesus was working in the life of my father, even though I didn't want to see it, even though I didn't want to admit it, even though I never really experienced it. But when I read the passage of scripture, when I understand the life, the ministry, and the teachings of Jesus, I understand that Jesus is working every side. It changed the way I thought about things. It changes the way, it shapes me to the way that I view the world, the way that I view our disagreements and our culture and our life, the way that we move back and forth with each other. It should really challenge us. It should really challenge us. That even though we can say, John, these things are important. They do matter. There is right and there is wrong. I'm not saying there's not. But what I'm saying to you is that when we begin to draw lines around causes or beliefs or situations where we believe Jesus is working and he's not working with others, I'm going to tell you the scripture is going to confront you with that. And it does today. And as we're confronted by that, we also have to deal with the whole issue of Jesus healing. This Mark 5 is all about Jesus healing. He's healing on the Gentile side. He's healing on the Jewish side. He's healing unclean people. Healing offered by Jesus always offers wholeness to the whole person. Now there are three in in the whole chapter 5. We didn't have time to read the whole chapter 5, but I'm really kind of using the whole chapter here. When you see it, you see a healing in the Gentile territory to an unclean man in a tomb, outcast by a society, disconnected by a society. He is, he is healed and made whole and he is allowed to move back into his neighborhood, allowed to, back, to be reconnected to his family, to his community, to his culture, to his life. That's what Jesus does when he heals people. It's not just physical healing. It's wholeness. 
It's reconnection. The story of, of, that we read today is Jairus comes to Jesus. He is a leader of the religious community. He is a leader of the synagogue. He is a part of the religious establishment that Jesus is always butting heads with. And I would not imagine that the other leaders of the synagogue are real excited about Jairus going to ask Jesus for help. But, Jesus, but Jairus' daughter is sick unto death. And when you have a child that is sick or ill, if you're a parent, you will do anything. I remember when Maddie, our youngest, had surgery very young just from a distended belly button that hadn't closed. And it wasn't even a, a real serious surgery, but she had to go under an anesthesia. There's always risk of that. If you've ever been there, if you've ever experienced that, you know just the absolute fear and anxiety that you feel. This is Jairus. He's willing to do anything to come. The ruler of the synagogue, he has status. He's named, he has a name. This is also important when you read scripture. Sometimes people have names and sometimes they don't. This has to do with what we talked about last week with Naaman and the servant girl. Sometimes the people who have names have power, they have privilege, they have authority, they have wealth, they have riches, they have access. And the people who don't have names don't have those things. They come from the margins. And yet sometimes what we see, most of the times what we see, almost all the time what we see is that God is working and speaking through those with no names. Those who don't have access and power and authority. So Jairus comes, he's named religious establishment, but he goes to Jesus and he asks for healing. Now, here's the important thing. Once Jairus' daughter is, dies, she is unclean, according to the Jewish laws of purity. She cannot be touched. She can only be touched by those who would prepare the body for burial. And even they have to go through a long process of about 10 days of ceremonial cleansing before they can touch anyone, be around anyone enter back into the holy place, enter back in to live with family, because for those 10 days, you have to separate and isolate yourself from everyone. And so for Jesus to touch a dead body would make him unclean, ceremonially, religiously unclean. Jews are prohibited from this. But also on the way to this miracle, something happens. There is a woman as again, we mentioned this last week, we'll talk about it again today. She had an issue of blood for seven years. She spent all of her money on every doctor that she could go to. She went to Houston Methodist, MD Anderson, Memorial. She went to all of them. She went to Menninger. She went to everywhere. She went everywhere and no one could help her. She spent all her money. She had nothing. She had no money. She had no husband. She had no family. Because in the Jewish law, if a woman is issuing blood, she cannot be touched. If you touch her, you are unclean and you have to go through a ceremonial process of cleansing. And even if you don't know that a woman is bleeding, if you brush up against her in the HEB, she has to declare to you, I am unclean. Now you, you brushed up against her accidentally because HEB is crowded. Now you have to go and remove yourself from your family and you have to go through a ceremonial cleansing for those amount of days before you can be reconnected to your family, human connection, religious connection. You can't go to church, you can't go to work, you can't go home, you, at least you can't be around your family. So imagine this, imagine this. She is without access to spiritual community, family community, 
She's considered to be dangerous, untouchable, unclean. You've got all of this uncleanliness. You've got all of this ritual impurity going on in this story that, that raises these issues about religious access and family access. It raises issues about human connection and people's place within the element of community life. These people are standing outside of it. The woman and the daughter cannot be touched. And yet Jesus touches them. She touches Jesus. Jesus touches the daughter. And when he touches them, what he's not supposed to do, but when he does that, he's not supposed to do it. What is he not supposed to do? Don't touch them. He touches them. They are touched. She touches him. He touches the daughter. And when he does, they are made whole. They are restored and healed physically. They are restored and healed so, uh, socially. They are restored and healed religiously. They are restored and healed to their family, to their faith, to their community. They are reconnected. Here's the thing in the New Testament. Healing, the word for healing, sozo in the Greek, means to heal. It also means to save. And it also means to make whole. So whenever Jesus is healing someone, he is making them whole. He is saving them. The man in the tombs, possessed by the demon legion, he, is, he has many demons in him. He's pulled in a thousand directions. You ever feel like that in your life? And what does he do when he casts the demons out? He makes him one. He makes him whole. He restores him. Now he's able to go home. Now he's able to go back to his community. Now he's able to go back to whatever his religious practice is. Now he's able to go back and re be reconnected to those that he's been disconnected from. He is made whole. He's healed. He is saved from his predicament. The woman with the issue of blood is healed, made whole. She is saved. Her life is now completely different. And this is what God does. God is about the whole making work of people. And so when God intervenes in the world to bring broken humans to wholeness, God is healing, saving, working toward this physical, mental, emotional, social, spiritual separation that are parts of all of our lives. So my friends, the two things that really kind of work through this chapter to me that stand out so much is, yes, I find myself, I have, I have no other answer for certain things in my life. I have nowhere else to turn like Jairus, like the woman with the issue of blood, like the man in the tomb. And we can go to Jesus and he can heal us. Yes, heal me. That is a part of the lesson of the story. But if we miss all of the other beautiful pieces of the story then we are shaped in a way that is not fully shaped by how Jesus wants to shape us. Who is he healing? People across the sea. People different than us. People separated from us. People separated from the religious access because they are, they are religiously unclean. And I think about how do you apply that in your own life? And I go back to my father. And I, in my mind, I'm going to be honest with you. In my mind, for me, my father was religiously unclean. He didn't go to church, right? 
had an affair, he left, started a new family, never said he was sorry. I, I just believed he was a heathen, <laughs> a philandering pagan heathen, right? And I realized, yes, John, even Jesus can cross the sea to minister to him. Now, whether or not he receives that and accepts that and is transformed by that, that's on him, but that doesn't mean Jesus isn't going. And if Jesus is going, then why am I standing here saying I refuse to go? Because the last thing I'll say, preachers always say that, it's not the last thing, but this really will be the last thing I say. <laughs> um, the last thing I will say is we, uh, we, the church is the vessel of Jesus in the world. We are the body of Christ. We are called to bring healing and wholeness and resurrection and salvation. God does the work. The Holy Spirit does the work through the church, but we are called to do the work. And so when the church starts drawing circles around who's in and who's out, we're confronted with this passage of Scripture. Because Jesus is going to be at work on the other side. And the question we have to ask as the church is, are we going to be the body of Christ? Are we going to go back and forth across the sea again and again and again? Are we willing to sit at the table with sinners and tax collectors again and again and again? As the scripture says, eating and drinking with them. I always say, you know, Jesus sitting at the table with sinners and tax collectors uh, doesn't mean at all that he's like saying, oh, you know, y'all can do whatever you want. It's okay. It doesn't matter. It, it, it's nothing about condoning the sin. It has everything to do with condoning the worth of the person at the table, that they are a child of God. And that's who we are as the church. That's who we have to be at the church. And we, I wrestle with that. I struggle with that. As I told you, I struggled with that for many years with someone in my life that I had to really process and work that through. And I've still had to deal with that in situations and relationships with people that as soon as I get there but because I've been through this with my dad now I'm in a situation at least when I get to someone uh, in my life that says okay uh, yeah God is really not working over there with uh, with that person because we are just not on the same wavelength and I have to stop and go Jesus is crossing over the sea again and I'm like okay Jesus okay Jesus I see you, I see you. And he's heading over across the sea again to heal, to make whole, and to save. And that's what we're called to do as the body of Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day, for this uh, challenge of scripture before us. And Lord, the way that you give us the power, even though we don't have the power, I don't have the power to be able to do this, to be able to, to live like this and, and connect to people uh, that sometimes we drastically, radically don't see eye to eye with. But Lord, you make this so clear in Scripture, so clear. And Lord, we have to wrestle with that. Uh, it's important what we believe. It's important that we stand on the truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And so if the truth is engaged in this way of working in the world with everyone, then we in truth must work in this same way. We are to follow you back and forth across the sea over and over and over again 
until you take us home. Lord, give us the strength to do that, to love one another and to be the church. For you we pray in Christ's name, amen.